Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 401 with Bobby Kim of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the show. Now, there's no brand that is more synonymous with streetwear and street culture than The Hundreds. This company was founded in 2003 in Los Angeles and The Hundreds continues to be a cutting edge streetwear brand of today. And we're going to go through talking to the creative force behind the brand Bobby Kim, aka Bobby Hundreds. So Bobby's got a real eye for innovation and he's really focused on NFTs right now with their project Adam Bomb Squad. Now, Bobby's going to go all in on Web 3.0. This was an incredible conversation with someone who's truly pioneering the future of NFTs and what that looks like for businesses. I learned so much off the back of this conversation. I went hard on NFTs. You need to listen to this one. I hope you guys enjoy. Please welcome to the podcast, Bobby Hundreds. So the first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Well, I don't think my job necessarily existed when I was growing up, and so I made it. And, um, you know, if you take my job very literally and obviously as in a clothing brand, of course, there's always been clothing company founders or clothing fashion designers, but... Um, our project has always been a little bit more complex and complicated than that. It's obviously not just about clothing, which is, I wrote a book called, this is not a t-shirt because the story of my life is 
It's not just about the t-shirt, right? And so um, like many young people, especially those that are growing up in a marginalized community or someone who's kind of an outlier in a culture, you know, I grew up Asian American in America in the eighties and the nineties. And so, you know, there was not a lot of representation out there. I grew up skateboarding, grew up in the hardcore scene. We weren't necessarily mainstream, you know, in the culture. And so when I was looking out at the viable career paths in front of me and what potentially my future could look like, there was no example or illustration of what is, would be possible for someone who looked like me or who came from my back and who shared my interests. And so for me, you know, at a certain point in my young life, I decided I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to create that position and that occupation in the world. And once I get there, I hope to inspire and educate and equip other young people who might be feeling the same to follow their own path. So I made it happen. That's awesome. So, um, you know, fast forward to now, uh, the hundreds is, is a really, really, really well-known streetwear brand. Um, take us back to 2003. You have an idea. What did the early days look like? You know, how, how did you bring it to life? Yeah, so the, in the early 2000s here in LA, um, fashion and especially culture was pretty thin. It was largely centered around brands like Von Dutch and Ed Hardy uh, under the Christian Auditor's label. It wasn't even the earlier iterations of Von Dutch. It was like the more mainstream and then reality shows were kind of like a thing at the time. And so the culture was kind of tacky. I was from LA and I knew that there were a lot of incredible artists, designers, um, entrepreneurs that were around us in the community that weren't necessarily getting the spotlight because just a lot of that mainstream focus wasn't there. Um, but I had become enamored with streetwear because you know, growing up in Southern California, I grew up wearing surf brands and then that turned into rave brands and then skate brands. And I was attracted to all of these things because they're independent, underground. And so each one of these cultures at a certain point became mainstream and then I moved on to the next one. And so when skateboarding followed suit, it went from these independent skate brands and skate labels to becoming these mega massive companies like DC and DVS shoe company. Then I was like, you know, what else out is out there that's artist-driven, independent, you know, really underground-minded and more of a subculture? And I discovered brands like Supreme, Bathing Ape in the late 90s, you know, and then all the Japanese labels and the New York labels, like Sir, A-Life, Priceless. And so I really thought that was great. You know, a lot of these artists were people I looked up to, like Futura and Stash and um, and to know that they were associated with putting their designs on t-shirts, uh, I just became a consumer and a participant in the culture. And then I wanted to create my own, right? So my partner, I meet my friend Ben in school and, you know, we embarked on this endeavor together of let's do the same thing. Like we want to play but let's also substantiate it with storytelling. And that's what I use my blog for. Yeah, I see. And can you tell us kind of like uh, the first time you remember seeing somebody wear something, the hundreds <laughs> and had that feel? 
I think I was in the mall and there was like a group of kids and one of them was wearing a white sweatshirt. And um, I remember that, that hoodie being white because the very first hoodies we ever made were white because they were the cheapest ones at the time. And so we could afford those and there was inventory in them. We're like, let's just print on a white hoodie. And uh, we saw some kids that were not affiliated with us at the mall wearing it. And um, that was a big deal. Cause up until that point, the only people we knew who put it on their backs were somewhat associated with us, friends and family. And so to have a complete stranger that we walked up to and we're like, well, where did you get that hoodie? And they said, you know, one of the stores that we were stocking and, and I was like, cool. Like they, that's a real customer. And that's a, you know, it's a pretty magical feeling as an artist and a designer because it's recognition and it's validation that your work was meaningful to someone and it resonated. And so like, that's just like that connection of like being seen is pretty irreplaceable. Mm. Yeah, look, I can imagine the feeling. It'd be awesome. So look, um, I'd love to switch gears a little bit and talk about NFTs and the metaverse. Um, yeah. I know you're very heavy in this space. Um, first of all, I'm just curious, like we're kind of during, we're kind of in this transition between a, a physical and virtual world. Like how, how do you see your role playing out here when it comes to, I guess the metaverse transition. Yeah, um, a role uh, and my role has been one that I've always found myself playing since I started my career and maybe even before that, which was not only to share what I was learning or what I was falling in love with, but also to help empower others, equip them and educate, right? So we're big educators in the cultures that we thrive and exist in. In streetwear, we've been around for 20 years, this brand, almost 20 years next year. And I'm still educating people on the space, teaching them about new young brands to check out, collaborating with young designers to put them on. You know, we just did a project this week with uh, a brand called Circulate to, to put the next generation on. And so like, that's a really important piece for us because we are forever fans and participants of the culture and we just want us to share it with as much of our community as possible because it just becomes much more viable and a lot more, really a lot more fun. And so I think that's our role again here within NFTs and Web3 is as we learn, because it's so stimulating and so exciting for us, we want to bring our community on board. It's their prerogative, whether or not they want to join at this point, if ever, but we want to at least give them the information and so that they're not left out to dry. And just like how streetwear was 20 years ago, where it was very much like a secret handshake club and you had to have access, you had to know, you had to know the right people. Uh, there was a lot of code that was a part of it, you know, a lot of research that had to be done. So it was like the barrier of entry was rather high. Right, like you had to read the read the right magazines to know where that store was to get in. You had to know the guy or the woman behind the door, and it was there was like a real process. There was like they really there was a lot of gatekeeping. The same thing happens in Web three and NFTs. There's like a lot of gate, even though it's supposed to, it's intended to circumnavigate gatekeeping. 
the language and the code that's associated with it, there's so much jargon, you know, it's intentional, it's asymmetrical information to keep a lot of people out. And so we're trying to just break down the walls and, uh, you know, physically and virtually and bring as much of our community in to empower them. Yeah, interesting. So I'm curious, like, can you talk to us about your first entry point into NFTs? Yeah, about a year and a half ago, um, a good friend of mine, Trevor, who's just been a part of our crew for many, many years, he used to be Katy Perry's DJ. He was kind of like a big DJ here in LA, just kind of a influential guy. He tweeted something about a Beeple auction. And it was some sale at the end of 2020 where Beeple netted, you know, $6 million for some JPEGs. And I was reading the article and I was so confused. And I was like, confused. I was a little bit angered. I was mystified. I was curious. I was threatened by what I was reading. Then that's when I knew there was something good there. You know, like anytime I come across something like that in life where I'm like, this kind of freaks me out. I kind of disagree with this. I think it could actually make me irrelevant. I need to know more, right? So like there is a contingent of us that when we hear a noise upstairs, we run towards it. Like, same thing. I was just like, there's something dark and weird in here, but I'm gonna run towards it. And so I reached out to Trevor. I said, can you help explain what's going on here? And he helped uh, onboard me. Trevor ended up starting a thing called Friends with Benefits, which is probably the best illustration of a social token in a, in a community that they've built. So he went on to become a pretty influential Web3 figure. Um, but it was through a friend like that, yeah. And I'm curious, like, why why were you scared? I think I was scared because, number one, I didn't understand a lot of language, right? So these two, NFTs and Web3, essentially have been funneled down from two sectors that I've been highly allergic to. One is tech, one is finance, right? So I come from a background of fashion, soft goods, culture-based, right? Skateboarding, streetwear, and art. And... Up until recently, that world was largely divorced from this tech and finance world. And the last 10 to 15 years, I have a lot of friends in tech and finance. I am not really intrigued or captivated by any of it because a lot of my motivation doesn't come from money. And a lot of my motivation doesn't come from like tech innovation. Uh, My motivation comes a lot from like culture and art. And so I was just illiterate right? And arguably still am when it comes to those two subjects. And so I'm trying to read this article and understand. And I knew that there was something here that meant this, the world is going to go this way because it only makes sense. Like a part of it did make a lot of sense to me, but because I didn't understand it and because I felt like I was so behind, I was very scared by that. So I have a lot of empathy when people are complaining about NFTs or talking bad about it or worried. A lot of people are just fearful. I have a lot of empathy for that because I came from that place too. And so when I talk to people about this, you know, I do it with, from a place of no judgment. I'm like, I get it. It is, I'm still scared by this subject. You know, I'm still like very threatened by the idea of like, I could very easily be written out of this if I don't understand exactly what's going on. And so fear can be a great motivator. Right. And so there's like a, definitely always like a piece of like anxious 
like, wow, like I, what happens if the world just moves on tomorrow and it's going to leave me behind? Am I just going to be left out to dry? So I'm actually really like that excites me. And um, so when I say I was scared, it's like it was really more out of like a respect for what I was reading and like a curiosity of like, how do I learn? Yeah, I see. So you've said uh, previously that you believe NFTs are like the Trojan horse for crypto adoption. Do you yeah. still believe that? I think there is like a strong truth behind that. I think a large part of this is to get more people into crypto. And I'm not, I don't think there's like a, a sinister creator in place or someone who's like puppeteering all this. I think the community is just wanting to get more people into crypto and NFTs are probably for a lot of people, if you haven't gotten into crypto in the last 10 years, which is the majority of people, um, NFTs made it palatable because that's kind of what art does, right? Art makes complicated subjects very simple and distills them down. So if people don't exactly, you know, understand or comprehend, um, you know, a story, they can just watch like a visual representation or, or look at a painting and feel the emotion of what that is. So NFTs helped almost like gentrify the space where it was like, okay, we're going to make it easy for everyone to understand. It's not just these invisible tokens. You can actually like buy things with them. You can trade them just like you do with sneakers or with streetwear. And then all of a sudden people were like, oh, I get crypto now. And so you're seeing so many more people in crypto now because of the advent of NFTs. Yeah, love it. So um, before we jump into Adam Bomb Squad, which is your project, which we want to go really deep on, I just wanted to ask you, like, for anyone watching this, who should be making NFTs? Like, you know, how should businesses be thinking about making them? Like, if, if you've got a brand yeah. or, or you've got a company, like, yeah, I'd love to hear your take. I think you need to always look at technology as not the solution, but technology as the tool, right? And so a lot of people think if I do this technology thing, if it's Snapchat, if it's TikTok now, it used to be Instagram and Twitter, I'm going to make a lot more money out of it. And I'm like, wait, that's backwards. It's almost like you're looking at the hammer and you're saying, that hammer is going to make me a lot more money one day instead of looking at the artist and being like, oh, it's actually the artist and what's going on in their brain to use the hammer to create something that they think can really revolutionize, right? And so that's the mistake that I often see companies make is that they get so caught up in the technology and the brand name saying, well, everyone's using TikTok, so maybe we should do that. Instead of doing it the way that I think everyone should do it, which is you need to diagnose what your pain points and your problems are or like, where's the friction and the frustration in your work right now that you aren't able to do fast enough, efficiently enough, or well enough without some kind of aid, right? And so if you're like, God, I'm, I'm, you know, our pain point was I've been preaching about building a brand around community. And I really believe in a community feeling like they have ownership of a, of a brand for 20 years when in reality, they never owned any piece of it, right? And so I'm like always frustrated by that idea because I'm out there talking about like, yeah, I know the hundreds feels like it's yours. It feels like it's yours, but it was never really theirs. So I'm like, what can I give them that is actually theirs, right? And that they have ownership of, that's associated as, as the brand does better. The brand becomes more visible than like their component of it is also 
more valuable on a financial level. And so that was my pain point. And I waited for years. I'm like, eventually there's going to be a way to resolve this issue. And and if he's come around, I'm like, that's it. That's what's going to help us do what we've always preached and and, and talked about, which is giving the community a real true ownership over the brand's success. And so that when the brand does well, like they also share in the upside of that and it trickles down to them. And so like, first I would say diagnose a problem, you know, diagnose what that friction is in the company. What is it that you're really trying to do? Is there a technology out there that can help facilitate? Is there a hammer? Is there a tool that it's best suited for the project that you're trying to build? And if it's NFTs, great. Like if it's metaverse, even better, right? Like I think even what we're doing right now, like anyone who's watching this can be like, this could probably be a little bit more thoughtfully designed. We were talking about the metaverse, right? So it's like metaverse technology could probably improve what we're doing right now, communication. So you're in the communication industry, think about how the metaverse might change that. You're in the education industry and you're talking about work from home school, uh, or, uh, educating it from home and, and whatnot. Like, let's talk about the metaverse for that. Um, maybe it's you're an influencer and you're just trying to speak better with your audience. It might not have anything to do with NFTs or metaverse. Maybe it's uh, TikTok, you know, maybe it's Cameo, right? So it's not for everyone. Um, you know, I, the first thing I say when people are asking me questions about NFTs is I'm like, you have to understand one thing. You don't have to do this right? Like you really don't have to do it. You can number one, observe. You can observe for as long as you want. Bitcoin's been around for a decade. And most people still don't own it, right? And so it's like, it's going to take people five to 10 years, if ever. Some people, a large majority of people will go their entire lives without ever engaging in Web3, Metaverse, or the NFTs. And those people need to buy or do something as well. So like maybe you're, maybe you should work with them, right? And so like the first thing you have to understand is like, you don't have to do this. And number two, if you want to do it, like what is it doing to resolve an issue in your life? What is it doing to facilitate or expedite something that you're trying to do in your life that you can't do without it? Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. Let's talk about Adam Bomb Squad. Like how did that start? What did the first steps look like? You already had characters because it, yeah, with NFTs, people create characters and it's artwork usually, right? That's right. Yeah. And so we found ourselves in a really great position because uh, in the early part of 2021, when we started theorizing, we should uh, doing a project. 
we realized that we were sitting on decades of different iterations of this cartoon bomb, the atom bomb, A-D-A-M, uh, that's his name, and it's our mascot of our clothing brand. And we've designed him like the shirt I'm wearing right now, uh, we've like as a Warhol parody, we've done him, we've drawn him as a pineapple. We've drawn him with like paint splattered all over. Like we've done so many iterations over the years. And so multiple generations of the hundreds community have different references and touch points emotionally with those different bombs. Like some people are like, oh, that's the one I had in eighth grade. Or I remember when my mom gave me that shirt for Christmas or my girlfriend stole that hoodie and like I had that bomb on it. So we already had 20 years of memories imbued in this art that was just sitting there. And we were like, what, what better way to not only remind everyone and educate everyone about this art and how incredible it is, but also make give it a way of like, that atom bomb has always belonged to the community. Even though we've profited off of it as a company and we've owned it and like we own the IP, the community has always felt like it's theirs. And I know this because they tattoo it on themselves. And I remember early on in our brand, it just always used to freak me out. I'm like, why are people tattooing this on them? And I felt a great sense of guilt and uh, responsibility that they were doing something like that. And I was like, I remember coming to the realization of, listen, Bob, you don't own that when you put a brand out into the world, when you put any kind of art out into the world, you start sharing it with the world, they start associating their own memories, they have their own narratives attached to that design, to that brand, to that t-shirt they're wearing, that has nothing to do with you. And so for a person right in the South who gets an anabomb tattooed on their arm, to them, it might signify something entirely differently from what it means to me. To me, it's like the mascot of the hundreds and it's my clothing brand. For them, it might mean, oh, when I was 16 year old, you know, my cousin's favorite brand was the hundreds and he passed and like, I got this to honor him. Like that memory has nothing to do with me. That milestone in their life is like not anything to do with me. And so it was a really important lesson for me to understand and realize that the, when you build these brands and you put these designs out into the world, they're not yours anymore, right? Like you're sharing it with them to start creating their own memories around it. And so we're seeing that happen again all over with, with Adam Bomb Squad. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. Um, I'm really starting to understand now. So I'm also curious, like you launched with 25,000. Um, typically people tend to launch with 10,000. What, what, what was the thoughts there? Why a larger collection? Yeah, so um, for those who don't know the history too well, it's arguable that one of the first, if not the first, veritable NFT collection, the PFP style collection, was a project called CryptoPunks. And the punks, there were 10,000 of them. And so when people started devising some of their own NFT projects, they kind of stuck to that number just because that was what CryptoPunks had proven was workable. And so they just followed suit. For one, we've never done things that way. We don't follow just the trend. If that everyone's doing it, it was without actual any reason. There was no meaning behind the number 10,000. It was just, well, they did it that way. So we should do it that way too. 
And we were like, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's such an arbitrary number. And so there was a project right before ours called OnlyForce that minted, I think, like 7,000, you know? And then there was a project right after ours called Ethereals that minted like 12,000. And so like these numbers are just like arbitrary and loose. And it's like, well, what are you really trying to do? Now, if we wanted to just have like really high secondary sales and like make like the most expensive NFT project on the market that no one would ever have access to, which is not, if you've been following our brand for 20 years, has never been our way. We're not a luxury goods brand. We're not like, we're really not like Supreme where it's just about like how expensive and how hard it is to get something. Um, if you want to do that, you can reduce your supply and just come out with like, let's say if we only have like 5,000 or 500, our bombs would be crazy right now. Like they'd be the most expensive, but who is that really servicing outside of just a couple thousand, maybe a thousand, 2,000, 3,000 people in the world, right? Um, that would basically hold these NFTs forever and just constantly keep it like their own private little club. It wasn't really trying to do a project for that reason. To circle back to the beginning of this interview, our role was to educate, onboard as much of the community as possible. So in order for us to do that, we had to have a large supply, 25,000 bombs. And we knew that people would immediately start trying to come and flip and try to like pump it and, and, and get in and get out. And so we didn't re release the art for a couple of weeks. And when we did, we didn't release the metadata and the properties. And that gave people time to spend with their art and build their own value intrinsically within the NFTs outside of what just some rarity number score, some valuation someone else gave. It gave people time to build like an emotional relationship and a bond with their NFTs. And so when the project finally released all the traits and you saw like where everything stacked up, there were a number of people who were just like, I'm in or I'm out, but a large contingent of our community stayed because they were just like, well, I've learned to just really love the art and I'm glad I have this because there's a lot of history and story there. And from our knowledge and experience of building a brand over 20 years, we were setting up for longevity. You know, there's a lot of projects that come in, they wired a certain way, it's like huge pumps and it just does this thing and then might hit a point in the secondary market where it's just inaccessible. Like, let's keep it open for as long as possible. Like, the boat's going to leave the harbor eventually, but until then, I want to do my part to make, to make myself feel like I educated enough people in the community. I spent about three to four months doing that, just doing podcasts and teaching people, not shilling my project, but just telling people how to sign up for a MetaMask and get your Coinbase account going and understand like safety and responsibility in the NFT space. And by that point, then the floor just started gradually rising. And so the people that were in were like, okay, it's kind of working, but our chart kind of looks unlike any other project. It just has this very gradual rise because we want to give people time to get in. And if people wanted to get out, like if they're like, hey, I need to liquefy, I need some cash, get out. We'll still be here when you get back. They get out, come back in, hop back and forth. And it's just a much more organic and natural way of building a culture and a community for us that in, it will ultimately result in a long, the longevity of a much healthier brand and business to us. It's the only way we really know how. Other projects can do it their way and they might prove us wrong and you know, they might just have a market that have, us, have sales that go like this for, the, for time. We don't want that. We just want like a really meaningful, thoughtful project where we just do the work every day. You see incremental movements. You see a little bit up and down, but we just gradually grow over time 
And at the end of this ride, we all win, right? Because it's our community the whole time. Not just like a fraction of really rich people, but just like people who are educated through the project, had a really, really fun time and loved the art along the way. Mm. So can you tell us about like kind of unforeseen challenges uh, in this journey with the Bomb Squad project? (laughs) Every day, every day there are unforeseen challenges because the technology and the pace of the conversation is just moving so fast. And so the goalposts are constantly moving. There's trends just like in any other marketplace. This time a year ago, the trends in NFTs were one of one artists by people like Fiwoshis, Pac, Beeble, on more or less walled marketplaces like Nifty Gateway, um, and then Zora Foundation and Bitsky, right? And then the PFP started kind of coming around in the summer, you know, much tribute to Board Ape Yacht Club. And everyone was just like, well, I want to copy what they did. And the style of the art started to change, right? By the end of last year, thanks to projects like CloneX, now everyone wants more of like a 3D style art. And in Q1 of this year, people are looking at Invisible Friends and some of these other animated projects coming out. And they're like, well, now I want mine to be animated. Now I want it to, to be used in the metaverse and, and, and VR. And so trend-wise, right, like you, it's hard to tell like where a lot of the climate is pointing to and what people want. This time a year ago, if you release a PFP project, there was very little expectation that there was utility, especially around most NFTs. It was just to own the art. Like the painting behind me was just to hang on the wall and to appreciate the art. And again, thanks or no thanks to Board A, because they uh, instilled so much utility in their project, that started to become a litmus test for whether or not you were legitimate or not. And so projects started building more and more utility, building out more thorough roadmaps to substantiate why you should buy these because now they're not just art anymore. They're actually useful for some reason, whether they're like a membership club, whether it's you get early access to things, whether it's you can use this now in a metaverse or whatever it is, there had to be some kind of utilities. And so it's probably the biggest change from when we started devising the project in February of 2021, by the time it came out in August, there was a different expectation and anticipation of you need to give me something more than just the art. Mm. So like talk to us about community um, and, and how you build incredible community because all of these big projects, like that's, that's like key. Like what's your advice to build an incredible community when it comes to, yeah, these projects or, or just in general? Yeah, um, it's a really loaded and overblown term these days, and it's kind of become like a marketing buzzword. But to me, community has always meant just building relationships, you know, within the brand, because of the brand, through the brand, right? And using the brand and the product as a conduit to open up a lot of these relationships and friendships. And so what that really means is instead of looking at it like, oh, we have a community of like, for our ABS, we have 8,800 different wallets attached. So there's eight, in theory, over 8,000 different people in this community. I'm not talking about that so much as I'm talking about one-on-one people just built making friends. And we've always done that. We've always just tried to speak to one person at a time, just like I'm doing with you now. From the time we started the hundreds in 2003 
to now when I speak to 8,800 people in our NFT holder list every day to the 60, 70,000 people on our Discord every day. And then the social numbers, like I don't look at it like that. I'm looking at it always as I just want to build really strong relationships, meaningful relationships within and introduce other people to other people within the community so that they can grow. And so it's just one person at a time, building trust, helping people out, supporting and celebrating them, being there with them when they're down. And in doing that, it's a really patient and deliberate process. But to me, the best brands act like the best of friends, right? And so if you look, if you think about the qualities you look for in a good friend, trustworthiness, reliability, someone who understands you, makes you feel seen. Your brand also needs to behave the same way, right? It needs to be trustworthy, consistent, someone I can feel like they understand me and they see me for who I am. And so we run the brand like that and the community behaves like that. And because we do that, the network is really strong, right? Because they're all just like one big friendship. Yeah, no, that's cool. So uh, we have to work towards wrapping up, conscious of your time, couple last questions. Um, what excites you the most about the NFT space right now? And what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge in the space that needs to be overcome? I think they're actually both sides of the same coin. I'm just like more obsessed and curious about this space than ever because there's so much opportunity here. It's almost like we discovered a new continent and actually it's better than that. It's like we made a new continent and we get to dictate and define what all the rules are on the physics level. Like, let's just say there's no gravity here. Fine. Um, on a social level, on an economic level, on a governing level. Right. And so that's really fun. Like, it's like we're the first, first explorers of the new world, you know, stumbling upon like blank canvases saying like, we can do whatever we want here. We can be as successful and happy as we want to be if we work together and make this happen. So that's really exciting for me. I think the biggest challenge is evading burnout because humans are not necessarily wired to keep up and to innovate at the pace of technology. And what we are trying to do because the technology is moving so fast is staying on top of it. Crypto is so volatile that if you try to maintain the pace of crypto with your work, you're like, this is what's happening over here. This is what's happening. And now this is down and we got to follow that. And my floor went up. And so we got to support that. You're going to die. Like literally, and also just metaphorically, your work is going to suffer because again, humans are not built to sustain like that. We are built to build sustainable brands. And that's a game of real patience and measured thought and discipline that takes time right? Like that's the one thing that makes humans and like our work really incredible, magical and irreplaceable by robots is that like, we need time for things to actually manifest. We need time for things to become amazing because time is like where you fill in the narrative and you do the storytelling and you have the reflection. You need all of that in order to create great work, machines and robots and AI and technology. It's not that like, to, again, that's the tool, right? And so my hand will never be as strong as a hammer, right? Like I can punch it all I want into a nail. I'm going to bleed and break the hand. That's what I use the hammer for, but I'm separate from that. Right. And so 
I think we're all trying to kind of just be the hammer. We're like, I need to pound everything. And like, I'm indestructible. So it's like, you're going to break, bro. Like, calm down. Like, you are meant to be the human. Your strength and power is you're using your mind. You take time to think things through. You're measured. You have discipline. You wait. You're patient. You have heart. You're passionate. Measuring the passion. Like, that's the most important piece that everyone's forgetting. I often forget too. I'm just like trying to keep up with crypto and NFTs and the information so fast because it's, it's just so appetizing, honestly. Like, I love the conversation. It's just fun to imagine so fast, but we have to take care of ourselves. Physical health, mental health, so important. Hmm. Um, I have to delve a little deeper if it's okay. Like, any advice what, like from your experiences to avoid burnout? Uh, any, any rituals? Yeah. Um, I think it's really important to... And it's a really conscious decision that you have to make to stop at certain points in your day and just observe, right? Observe and describe what is going on around you. And you can just do this even within your own life or you're sitting at your desk and just like what you're feeling, what you're smelling, what you're seeing. And even when it comes to your life and your career and the things that are happening, instead of always being immersed in it, being able to step outside of it and just look at the lay of the land and just knowing like, being able to define and describe what you see instead of just like, I need to be constantly on the inside pounding away. Cause that's not working smarter. That's like really working just hard. Right. And like, you're not going to be able to maintain that forever. And so um, I just do my best to like step out. Sometimes I surf a lot. So like surfing kind of forces me into it. Right. Like, and I'm so aware of, of my elements talk about observing, like you really, you have to scan the horizon, you know, you're feeling the coldness, you know, you're, watching for anyone else is dropping in like you just have to really be present and clear and so surfing really helps me to kind of just escape a lot of this my family my friend time just like a really good meal you know just like being present with them like that's really helpful and then I dive back into work but you know do your best to just observe what's going on around you and like without any judgment of whether it's good or bad just like watch it and like it slows time down. You know, we always talk about like how fast time is going and like, oh my God, this year just disappeared. You can actually slow time down. <laughs> like you really can. You can just sit there and just watch and like make the world pause and you'll have so much more room within there to innovate and create if you do that as opposed to just like constantly just running. You'll never have time to build. So just like pause, build, you'll build thicker and more meaningful and more thoughtfully. The work is just better that way. Yeah. Thank you, man. Look, uh, could talk all day. I really yeah. enjoyed this conversation. Conscious of time. We just moved to the rapid fire questions. Short, sharp. Sure. Um, we'll, we'll, sure. we'll bang them out and then we'll, we'll let you go. So um, there's so many NFT projects. Uh, in 15 years, what are the two projects that you believe are still standing with Adam Bomb Squad. Ah, oh, with Adam Bomb Squad. I was just like, well, Adam Bomb Squad's up there. I really love the artifact guys. I don't know if, and, and I say this often, so, you know, I apologize if I repeat, if I'm repeating myself elsewhere, but even the way that Adam Bomb Squad looks and behaves right now, it might not necessarily look like that in 15 years. So when you're betting on projects, you're really betting on people and you're really betting on their communities. You're betting on the founders and you're betting on their communities. I know without a doubt 
that in 15 years, I'm going to, you know, I hope I'm still alive on this planet. But even if I'm not, that my community is still going to be here and they're still going to carry the same chain of thought. And even if I die and get hit by a train tomorrow and I'm gone, they're still going to be there to pick up the pieces because they have the DNA of what this project is meant to be. So it might not visually or aesthetically still look like these little cartoon bomb pictures. I, I tell everyone, don't get hung up on NFTs as just like, oh, so we're going to be flipping these cartoon JPEGs forever. It's like, no, no, no. This was, this, is, this was the Trojan horse. This was just the first step to get you into the space. But that might iterate over time. Now that monkey is animated. Now you're using the metaverse. Now we don't need the JPEG anymore because you're wearing the costume, you're walking around, that's your avatar in, in metaverse. Let's just say, for example, maybe eventually like you, you lose the monkey skin altogether and it turns into something else. But we all know it started with like the cartoon JPEG. So in 15 years from now, I don't actually think most, if any of these NFTs are gonna look the way they do now, or they're not, we're not gonna understand them the way that we do now. You know, it's like shoes were moccasins at some point, then they became an Air Jordan. There's like two completely different things, different functionalities, but like the soul is there, pun intended. Um, so when I'm thinking about who's gonna last in 15 years, I'm not, it's not nothing to do with art, Founders and communities wise, I think Artifact, I, I just really believe in those guys. I think they're super smart, innovative. I love what Deadfellas is doing. Speaking of Aussies, Betty and, the, uh, and Psych from the Deadfellas have a project that they're building out more as an, a universal brand, um, which I think is really smart. And, um, you know, I, 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 I always look at projects with founders who are just doing the work and not only, not just doing it in love with the work, you know, doing it from a sustainable perspective where they're just like, hey, this one's gonna take time. Artifact came out yesterday and they said, we're building projects for 10 years out, guys, not like three months out, 10 years. That means we have to do things a certain way. It's gonna take time, um, but yeah. Awesome. Uh, two more, for you, when is work fun? The thing that inspires me the most with work is when I get to have conversations like this. Uh, I'm usually trying to listen more than I'm talking. I, apologize and I talk a lot when I'm asked to um, but I just love learning from other people it's really fun for me to just sit in their shoes and see the world from their perspective I just constantly blown away by that like I'm always proven wrong and there's nothing I love more than being proven wrong I love being proven right I mean I have an ego but like when I'm constantly like baffled and proven wrong like nfts like metaverse every day I'm like I don't get this why is this project doing so well? It sucks. Someone explain this to me. Like that and like having the conversations, it's the best part. I've gotten to meet so many people around the world, just traveling, the smartest people, the brightest, you know, successful people. And not even like I'm saying the most sex successful, famous, rich people. I'm just like just really intelligent people. Like everyone's story is so rich. And um, I'm just like really in love with people. So it's, it's probably my favorite part. Yeah, awesome. All right, last question, and then we'll let you go. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Uh, I probably, it's so generic. I'd probably say Walt Disney. You know, I think Disney, uh, I don't know if he was a good person or not. It's not really a judgment on his character, but in terms of, you know, he was so bullish on what his vision was for his art. Um, he created something in a lane that didn't exist and he just pushed it through. He didn't really get to reap a lot of those benefits, but it, it I, I, you know, he left a really strong legacy. Um, he didn't even die to get to see a lot of what Disney ended up becoming. 
And so um, I think about him because he was, uh, he kind of covered the three things that um, I would love to also accomplish, right? Was the experience, right? The parks, right? Consumer products and entertainment. And like those three venues and arenas, I can see the hundreds and atom bomb in my art really connecting those two for those three things for, for a really long time. Cause there's just great story there. Oh, incredible. Well, look, we won't take any more of your time. Thank you so much, Bobby. Uh, this was incredible. Uh, our team will be in touch when this goes live, but thank you again. Great to connect. Thanks y'all. Appreciate it. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.